This episode of Madison Story Slam, as is every episode, is sponsored by Ale Asylum. If you like great beer to go along with great stories, then you should probably be drinking something from Ale Asylum. Thank you, Ale Asylum, for believing in Madison Story Slam and wanting to be a part of what we do. This episode is also sponsored by Resolution Therapeutic Massage. Resolution specializes in therapeutic massage that brings relief from acute and chronic pain. And if you mention Madison Story Slam at your first appointment, you get a discount. To schedule your first appointment with Resolution, visit resolutionmassage.com. Hello and welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. It is I, your host, Adam Rosted, here with another great episode for your listening pleasure. But before we get to this episode, let's take care of some business. Upcoming shows, our next Story Slam event is Saturday, April 21st at the Wilmar Center. The theme is Child's Place, so come tell some great stories about when you were a kid and the things you did as a kid and all that good stuff. And then on May 12th, again, that's a Saturday, May 12th at Mr. Roberts on Atwood Avenue in Madison, Wisconsin, we are doing our new show, our very first event for that. It is called Read It and Weep, and we don't want stories. We want you to come and read your old journals, old letters, old short stories, Anything that you wrote before you graduated high school, or maybe you didn't save stuff from that time and you have something written that you have at least 10 years separation from, we want you to come and read that as well. If you want to be a part of Read It and Weep, send an email to readitandweepshow at gmail.com. Submit the piece you want to read. We will review it and try to get it in on that first show. Uh, you know, we can't accept everybody because we only have a limited amount of time, but I promise that if you submit something, we will get you scheduled into a show. This is not a one-time deal. We're doing it a bunch. So if you submit, I promise we'll get you in. Uh, so yeah, and you can go over just, you know, while you're listening to this podcast, just hit search and search read it and weep show hit subscribe to that one. While you're meddling around with your podcast app, why don't you leave a rating and a review for Madison Story Slam and for Read It and Weep Show. There's only one episode up right now, but uh, in May we're going to start posting our regular episodes of that show. Our first one, uh, our first official episode uh, features Kevin Allison of Risk, a great storytelling podcast. And he, he sat down and read a wonderful thing he wrote at 11 years old. It's pretty amazing, actually, and I cannot wait for that episode to come out. On this episode of Madison Story Slam, I am sitting down with somebody who has uh, very quickly become a regular storyteller at Madison Story Slam. Uh, he, you heard him on the last Story Slam episode, and um, his story was amazing. He's a local comedian that is organizing events in Madison that revolve around comedy and storytelling, and he he's a wonderful storyteller, so I wanted to have him on just to talk with him. His name is Tyson Purcell, and you can find him on April 13th at the Rigby in Madison doing his thing. 
So here's me and Tyson. All right, so Tyson Purcell, how the hell are you? I'm doing really good. Good. It's been kind of a busy couple of weeks for me. Really? Busy? Why busy? Well, I'm putting together this show. That's right. So, you know, I just mentioned that in the intro, but I didn't do a great job of promoting it. So why don't you tell us what it's all about? So the name of the show is Bittersweet, and uh, it's named that because the idea is to have a show that has, uh, you know, more serious stories being the bitter part of the show, and that's the first act, and then the second act of the show is stand-up comedy. Okay. So that's the sweet part of the show. Um, And putting these shows together is difficult or very busy because, like, as you know, like, putting together a story slam, it takes a lot of you know, energy and emotion to do that, but then to also pair it with stand-up comedy yeah. and to get the right people to do it. Because the, the way that I set the show up is it's myself and four other stand-up comics, and we have to, you know, find the right type of stories that pair with the right sort of stand-up so that everyone can have a, a really nice show together. And it's difficult in the aspect of a lot of stand-up comics, when they do their story slams, they tend to get a little bitty. Oh, I was just going to bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this year, especially Madison Story Slam has had an influx of uh, stand-ups coming, and we love it. But there are times that I go, okay, you're doing your bits now. And and that's fine. it's fine when they can work it into their story, uh, but oftentimes, not oftentimes, there's been a couple that I've been like, you're just doing bits and like, I want a story out of you. But I, like, what I have loved about having you at Story Slam, uh, the story that you told that was featured on the last Story Slam episode, um, I mean, I couldn't find a single bit in there, but it was told so well. And like I said, it was a very serious story, but told so gracefully and in such a funny way and so it was just seamless well thank you i I work hard on that for these story slams as well so like when i'm working with the stand-up comics to have them do this that that is a focus yeah so like sometimes or one of the first story slams i went to i there was a lot of stand-up comics at it and i was like oh you're just doing that one bit that's normally a one like a minute and a half bit and you're putting all the things back in that you cut. Yeah, yep. So you're just telling the long version, this isn't really a story. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about like what we're going to do for our stories, I make sure I, to, to really heavily stress with them, like, this is a story. And some of these stories do eventually turn into jokes and that sort of things. Which is, that's, that's what stand-up comics do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of editing and cutting things down and that sort of stuff, but I actually put a limit on how much comic relief they can sure, have. It's like, sure. I don't want you to have a joke more than like once every minute and a half. Sure. But even that, like, so you just have to give comics some kind of guidelines. That's the only reason it's there. But most of the time, you know, once I get a po- uh, the point across, like, Pick a story, a story that has a beginning, some rising action, you know, it comes to, it, it it's, uh, it crescendos. Well, it's a, yeah, it's Zenith and then you have your falling action, your, your denouement or whatever it is. Uh, but it should be a story, it should have like some sort of moral to the story. There should be a point because like sometimes, you know, with story slams, people will just get up there and share and that's really, really nice. But the stories that I like the best are ones where it is a complete story. There's like some sort of takeaway at the end, mm-hmm. other than, 
a bunch of stuff happened to me. Yeah. And, you and know, I the, got really sad. Those are the I stories. Mean, which, they're great, but. Well, like, sometimes those are the stories that tend to then. Uh, you're right. They don't necessarily have a point. So people, they don't have an ending. If you don't have a point, you really don't have an ending. And so you'll get these people who will just keep talking uh, to try and end it. I also find that those are the people who usually, um, you know, everybody's story is important to them and it means something to them. Uh, and and if it starts to fall flat with an audience, they're like, well, if I just keep talking, and you'll get why this is so important. So yeah, it it is important to have that crescendo, those peaks, and like the ending. So. Yeah, and also like the aspect of like sticking to a theme. Like I'm, re- I get really caught up in when I go to do a story slam of having the theme be prevalent in the story that I'm telling. Sure. So having those themes to help guide mm-hmm. the story and help you, you know, tie it together. So like when I did the the story slam for Big, you know, I told a story about you know my dad on his deathbed and that sort of thing, but. It, I really wanted to bring it back to this idea of like, they're, your dad's like the big person in your life. But then when you get older, you realize kind of really who they are. And I didn't really get that until he was, you know, dead. And I was like, oh, I really do look a lot like him, or maybe I'm a sliver of him. So this, the tying it back to the theme is what made that story really work for me. Hmm. So when we set up these stories with these comics, we need to make sure that the stories are actual stories and that it's not just a bit, but then that they each individually have their theme. So curating these stories, because you know you got to go to story slams, listen to them, listen to what they have to say, develop these relationships, find out what what their stories are. And uh, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to put it all together. So like, uh, like for instance... And then in the next bittersweet show, we have a comic who's going to be telling a story they've never even told before. Oh, wow. Like, and when I say they've never told it before, I mean, they've maybe said it to me like three or four other people interpersonally. They've never performed it before. And many people don't really see this side of this person at all. So it will be, you know, a deep experience for that particular comic in that, and that comic doesn't have any like comic relief in the story at all. So it's just, it's, it's just, just straight just serious, serious the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be able to like encourage the comics to be able to, to, to have that. Cause I think it's, it's good for them to stretch their legs. It's good for me. I know that much to be able to have these platforms where I don't feel the, the pressure to be super, super funny. I sure. can just say the story I want to so- say and not worry about, getting a light or going over on time. So I'm trying to make this platform, but we also want to have this thing where we don't end the night on this like downer. This downer where it's like, <laughs> oh my God, I just sat through all these serious stories. Now what am I supposed to do? So then we come back and Yeah, do that would be kind comedy. of a bummer. <laughs> and and as a performer it's difficult. Like the first one, uh one of the one of the comics started hitting the sauce kind of hard because because he was just like Wow, I just told a really in-depth story. Now I gotta come back and make these people laugh in like ten minutes. Man, that <laughs> oh, that is like oh, that is such a what a what a dichotomy that is, and what a precarious place to be because like oh, it would just almost be so much easier to do the comedy first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how like especially if you're doing just straight serious story and like that's if that's you know first impressions are huge. And people don't let go of those first impressions. So what a challenge and what an interesting way to stretch yourself. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I really love this show is the aspect of you get to show this kind of like, 
you know side of yourself that you normally wouldn't as a comic and you start off with that so they see this kind of like deep cut of who you are Mm -hmm. as a person and then you got to come back and be funny and they so instead of seeing the onstage comic persona they see kind of a whole person yeah and they and sometimes a, a a joke is just the funny bit from this whole thing that has mm. happened to your life. So like when I tell a joke, I have kind of a dark sense of humor. It's like a minute or uh, of material. And that was like six months of my life. Yeah. And you know, when you can tell the story and then when you tell the joke, the joke's a callback to the story. Like the first time I did this, I, you know, I told us, I told a story that was about my, my father passing, but then when I came back and did a joke, I did a joke about how my, my ex fiance at the time was cheating on me. I, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, it was interesting because when I tell this, the, the story the first time, I don't mention that I'm even in a relationship, sure. I'm just talking, focusing on this detail about my dad. So then I came back and when I did the joke, I said, I said, you know, well, why did you, why did you cheat on me? And she said, well, you were emotionally unavailable. And I said, like, when? She said, well, that time when your dad was dying of cancer. And like, <laughs> it was this, it, it, it's this dark joke. I really like the joke. It's, it's a good, it <laughs> but, is good. But it, it, you know, when you tell it just kind of in the span of a regular standup, people are like, yeah, that's whatever. But after you hear a five minute story slam about all the things I went through emotionally and mentally about, you know, related to like, you know, the ending of my dad's life. It adds this kind of gravity to that joke. And instead of getting laughs, you get, Ooh, (laughs) but like, but that, but sometimes that's, that's all right in, in standup comedy to go there. So, uh, the way I like to think about the show is, you know, how, like Dave Chappelle, when you watch him as a comic, he'll have a stand-up uh, special, and he'll take you to like a positive ten out of ten, like a ten on a ten scale of mm-hmm. positive emotions, and just that's hilarious and it's awesome. And then when you go to see a movie like, say, Saving Private Ryan, you know it's a drama, it's deeply emotional. It'll take you to a minus ten on a minus ten scale of like that kind of deep emotional you know, journey. So what I want to do with this show is to take people down first to like a a minus six or something like that, and then bring them back to like a plus six or seven. So, you know, their total like journey is, you know, really, it's a lot for a night, but it also makes setting up the, the story more interesting in the aspect of I have to plot out the storyline of the storyline of the slams. So I find out what the slams are for all of the the performers, mm-hmm. and I, well, I was plot, gonna ask, I plot you, it out emotionally. Do you, as you're curating this thing, you have the performers basically say, "Here's my story," and do you help them then go go through it and be like, "Okay, this part needs to be less. This part needs to be more." Like things like that. Yeah, for some of the performers that we'll workshop the the story slams very, you know tightly yeah uh some of the other performers you know i i when i give my feedback i do it like this i say this is the way i would do it but you do your story yeah so you're an artist you you tell the story you want it to 
So for some of the performers, there's more workshopping. And for some of the other performers, I'm just like, I understand the outline. I know where you're going. The emotional journey where you're taking is going to be here. So like in the first act, we start off kind of serious and then it will usually get to the most serious or deep kind of like, you know, gritty, bitter stuff by like the third or fourth performer. And then the final performer of the first act tells a story that's still serious and still fits in the bitter act of the, of the show, but they will usually have a little bit more uh, comic relief. Yeah. Cause we're trying to like pull back out of that. Sure. Before we get into the intermission. I, just, I, I think it's like a, it's pretty much the whole thing is an incline. You start yeah. off kind of low and you're kind of, you want to bring the audience up, I guess. Yeah. So we take them on this emotional journey and then we kind of pull them out of this. Like it's still awesome. Cause they're going on this emotional journey with us in the first act. Then we have this little brief intermission and then we come back and do stand up comedy and each one of those comic acts has what we, in comedy, it's called a callback. Sure, yeah. So each one of us has a joke that's a callback to our story. Yeah. And the callback always hits a lot harder in this type of environment because people have gotten to see the bigger story. Hmm. So, like, it, it's a really fun, emotional, but also just very satisfying show because you get to stretch your legs as a performer to, like, kind of show your range. It's like... Yeah, it's awesome to be funny. That's what we're all doing this for. But we also, you know, get to show kind of who we are as people. I mean, nobody wants to be just one thing. They don't want to be known just as a comic, just as a serious performer or whatever. Like, I mean, you just look at uh, comedians who started out in comedy movies and without fail, every single one does a drama at some point because they're like, well, I, I can do more than just be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I, I like that in one night you get to be both funny and not dramatic, but uh, serious, you know? So that's really oh, yeah. cool. Um, and so you did the first one in January, is that right? Yeah. January of 2018. And then this is going to be the second one, right? This is the second one. Yeah. All right. So this comes out on April 12th. So tomorrow, Friday, April tw- uh, 13th, Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th, uh, the show is happening where and when? It's at the Rigby Pub and Grill, which is downtown in Madison, and it's going to be starting at 8 o'clock. Awesome. So it's a two-act show. It runs about two hours. Okay, cool. Um, so hopefully people that are listening to this, go check that out. I'll I'll put up something uh, the day before as well, because I, j- I just love the idea of what you're doing. That's awesome. And also, you've just been so good about plugging our stuff too, so it's only fair. <laughs> um, so are you from Madison originally? I I grew up in Baraboo, Wisconsin, okay. and I moved to Madison in 1998. So okay. I've been here for a while. 20 years. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then when did you get into stand-up? I got into stand-up almost one year ago. I got into stand-up. Okay, I was going to say, because like, there was a while, maybe five, five or six years ago, that I was going to the comedy club a lot. And um, and then doing like the Story Slam stuff, I got familiar with a lot of comedians. And I was like, this guy's so good, but like, I don't recognize him at all. So it makes sense that it's a year ago. Okay. Yep. Just got into it about a year ago. I, I don't know why it took me so long to get into it. Like, uh, I turned, Was it a fear thing? No, I just, it never worked out. And for the longest time, I didn't really think of myself as being funny. Huh. And I mean, there's kind of a story behind why I got into it, but it was just, I 
I was depressed. <laughs> and I needed I high need, five. Join the club. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I needed the therapy yeah. of it. And uh, I also like I had a bucket list, and my bucket list was like two items. It was like be a good dad, try stand up comedy. Yeah. It was like, well, let's cross this one off, you know. So, so to, uh, bring me back to that first time. First time on stage trying stand up. What's it like? Sure. So the the first time I did it, like. Uh, I'd been kind of thinking about what I wanted to do and been working on my courage. So I actually did a lot of research on how it was going to go, got it figured out, and then got good and liquored up. (laughs) 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 Okay, I right away have two questions. Did did doing all the research and figuring out how it was going to go help? And did it did it go as you your research led you to believe? And did getting liquored up help? (laughs) Uh, Yes. To everything. Yeah, okay. like, uh, so the way that it worked out was uh, I, I told my friend, his longtime friend, like, I met him when I was a freshman in high school. Sure. And he and I have known each other for forever. And then I was like, hey, let's go watch the Bruin view of Princess Bride at the Majestic. So we went there and he was buying drinks. So he bought a bunch of drinks. And by the end of that movie, we're yelling out all the lines to to the Princess Bride. As you do. Yeah, as that's the way that that goes. And we got done with that. And I was like, man, I really want to I really want to try stand up. And I've been thinking about it. And I think I kind of have what I think is a, a bit I could do. And he's like, well, do you know if there's any open mics tonight i'm like well i think there might be over at this one bar so i got on uh, this website which is a fairly new website and i would not have started stand up had this Without website it. not been yeah. there because well, I'm, plug the website what is it it's localmadisoncomedy.com and essentially it's got everything you need to know to get into comedy in madison because sure. it tells you where all the open mics are and you know kind of gives you a background it's a good resource and uh, the reason I never started doing comedy was because the I only thought there was one open mic, and that was at the comedy club on State on Wednesdays. And I have my daughter on Wednesday, so I was sure. like, I'll never get to do this because <laughs> you know, you know, my time with my daughter is sacred to me. I'm yeah. not gonna like get a babysitter so I can go do the thing, uh, or at least that you know I wouldn't have at that time. So I found out like, hey, there's this. There's this open mic on a Thursday. So we went to the Bruin View, and then we ended up at Ian's Pizza yeah. after I had drank a whole lot. <laughs> so I went up, and uh, Ben Mueller was the host at the time, and he, and he was like, so have you ever done this before? I'm like, nope. And he could tell that I was, I was you know, a few into my night. And he's like, okay, well, just look back here for the light, because this lets you know when you're done. And I just went up there, and the hardest thing for me to do at that point in time was to try and remember the bits that I had sure, been thinking sure. about telling as jokes. So I got up there, and I have kind of a narrative style as a stand-up comic already, which basically means I just need to edit a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I got up there and kind of rambled, but I told a version of a joke that I still have in, you know, a year later that has been worked out. It's you know one of my my bits, and I did my Taco Bell joke, and that's the first iteration, and. I did it to almost no laughter except for my buddy, and then the then host of the time was laughing too. He's like, "Oh wow, that was pretty good. That's your first time. Yeah, you should totally come back and keep doing this." And what was great about it was, is I got a little bit of a laugh, but 
I, I did it. And the joke that I told was therapeutic to myself because I thought, thought it was funny because I'm just kind of telling a joke about some, you know, a breakup and, you know, struggling with being single and that sort of thing. And I got done. I was like, man, that felt amazing. I'm going to do this forever from mm. now on. And I'd done research before and I knew that you bomb a lot. Yeah. So I went after that point and went to the, the Rigby open mic, which is on Thursdays. It's called The Revolver. And then, you know, it starts it. at 8 30. Be- Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we, so I went and did that and I proceeded to bomb for three months. It just got up there and just died on stage. But I never really stopped. Like a lot of stand up comics, when they tell their stories, like, I got it my first time and I killed. And then I was chasing that feeling. Like I never had that moment where I just sure. killed right off the bat until after I'd been doing it for several months. And then I finally. It worked out so that my daughter went on vacation with her mom, so I got to go to the, uh, the comedy club on state on a Wednesday, and I was super nervous, but I was like, okay, you get three minutes, and I invited people to make sure I got up. So I got on there, and it was bizarre, because it was like shooting fish in a barrel, because that crowd is listening and ready to laugh, yeah. which is unlike a lot of open mics. Totally. Because a lot of open mics, you're performing for other comics who are writing their material, waiting <laughs> for their time. For sitting there judging you yeah. the entire time. Exactly. So it was, uh, it, that was my first moment where I actually got like a really good laugh. And I was like, wow, now I know what everybody else is talking about with this part of the, yeah, the, you know, being a stand-up comic. But uh, I don't know, like, I'll never see a part in my life without doing comedy ever again yeah it's it's, the, it's my foremost passion now because just you know uh i'll get kind of into like the the comedy as therapy bit so when i started off i would tell jokes so that i could laugh at my own plights because sure. like in in your life you have you only have so much control so when you feel like your life is out of control, you know, you, you feel like you're not in control of anything. And, you know, control is actually like a continuum. So you either have some control. Well, you have some control at all times. You always have some sort of decision you can make. You're rarely in a situation where you're in complete control or have no control whatsoever. And what I found was, is like, you know, I was depressed. My life was down in the dumps. But if I could tell a joke that I could laugh at on stage, I could control that part of it. Like, I could laugh yeah. at this problem. You're taking I had. ownership of it. Yeah. And by doing that, I could control this kind of negative detail in my life. Mm-hmm. And once I started doing that, I stopped hiding a lot of the parts of who I was as a person. Because I've struggled with depression my whole life, but no one knew about it. Yeah. I kept it. You gotta keep wraps. that on lock. Yeah, like that was, you know, the old Irish things like, you know, when you have pain, you bury it deep down and then you leave it there till you die. You know, like, so. <laughs> totally. Uh, like, and I was doing that for a good solid, you know, 40 some odd years. <laughs> like, but I just got to the point where I could start telling people, I'm like, yeah, these are the things that I'm dealing with. And a lot of people, like their jaws dropped off their face, like, wow, really? I, w- I never would have thought that you had hmm. these, these problems. I'm like, yeah, but. I laugh about it now and I feel pretty good and just the act of being able to be vulnerable on stage but also well, just even, own who you are even, and not worry about what people think. Totally. But even in private the uh so again you're talking to a guy who struggled with depression his whole life as well. 
uh, in, in the last five years have really gotten to the point to where I'm just like, yeah, this is just who I am. I, like, you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to tell you. And there's so much freedom and healing in that. And I think for me, a lot of it, uh, you know, like for you, it was stand-up that kind of got you to that point. For me, it was starting to do story slams because I can't be the host of a story slam and not be honest on stage. Like, I have to get up there and just be like, this is me. Because I'm asking everybody else to do it. And so that has just kind of like invaded my my personal life where it's like, I'm just going to be honest about where I'm at and, and what's going on. So. Oh, completely. And like the detail with story slams that is so endearing about them is like they're supposed to be true. Yeah. That's another problem with like when you're trying to book a stand up comic to do mm-hmm, a story slam. Mm-hmm. You'll say, Well, tell the story. And then we're like, Well, I added this one little part. I think it's going to get a better laugh. And like, Well, is that part true? Mm-hmm. Like, Well, <laughs> that part's an embellishment. It's like, No, you tell the true story in this part. You can, you know, pump it up or yeah, like you, you can know. bullshit later yeah, that, yeah. That, that that's what stand-up comedy is and they're like oh well, okay but um you know when you get to be truthful like that like in fact it was a really interesting instance because there's an open mic on mondays at the argus mm-hmm. hosted by marty clark and i went up one night and i did a bit and this is early on when i like i didn't even know what that i could go and try slams i didn't even know that that was a thing yeah but I went up and did my stand-up and did like a minute of really depressing storytelling and then put a punchline at the end. And uh, one of the guys in the scene, Lev Simmons, walked up to me afterwards and was like, have you ever tried a story slam? I'm like, what's that? <laughs> and he was just like, you should try it. Yeah. Because you can just be honest and, you know. And I was like, oh, so you're saying I should try be funnier when I'm doing stand-up? <laughs> 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 But it, it was really interesting because he encouraged me and then I went and, you know, started doing it. And I, I really have a passion for both. Yeah. I really, I really have a passion for both. They're great. Absolutely. I'm going to pause right here because we actually have to talk about our sponsor. Resolution Therapeutic Massage is an established massage therapy clinic in downtown Madison, Wisconsin, specializing in custom massages. Their therapeutic approach is ideal for student-athletes, traveling professionals, top performers, and anyone who needs their body and mind to be at peak condition. The therapists at Resolution will evaluate your muscle response and select the best technique for your tailored massage. Clients often experience relief from acute pain after one session and relief from chronic pain after three sessions. Packages for ongoing support are available at a discounted rate. And while you're at Resolution, maybe you should go into the infrared sauna. By penetrating tissues, joints, and muscles, infrared heat relieves pain, improves circulation, enhances skin's healing process, increases metabolic rate, speeds recovery time, and improves immunity without using steam. That is all at Resolution therapeutic massage visit resolutionmassage.com today and schedule your first appointment and if you go and mention madison story slam you get to save money off your first visit thank you resolution for supporting what we do all right so we're back with tyson and uh we were talking about storytelling and comedy, and uh, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about uh, that you said, you, you know, you talked about the three minutes that you had on your first night, and I, I have often thought about doing stand-up. I have 
had some stand-ups go, you should really start doing stand-up. My, the most daunting aspect is I only have three minutes as a newbie or, or less as a newbie. I'm like, I can't, I can't be funny in less than three minutes. I can't do it. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting detail because you have a lot of comics that are naturally like one-liner comics or good at puns and that sort sure. of stuff. Yeah. And they just get to it. And when you're doing stand-up comedy, you're shooting for a laugh every 10 seconds. Yeah. That means that your setup is a joke. I could not do that. Your punchline is a joke, (laughs) and then you have a tag after it that's also a joke. So you're trying, you you have to edit yourself a lot. So when I do my open mics, I mean, there's a large variation of different open mics in town. We have a pretty good scene. Some of them I consider as writing mics. So you go there with, you know, kind of a bullet point, and everybody has a different idea of how they approach it. But I'll go to like a mic like the Argus with just kind of loose bullet points and maybe have run through it like a couple of times in my head or like in my car on the way there. And I'll get up there and I'll record myself. Mm -hmm. And for this part, this is probably the most painful part as a comic is you record yourself and you kind of write from the mic, or at least that's the way that I do it. And then you listen to it after, and you're like, "Oh my god, that is painful." And but you learn what to cut, yeah, at that point. So you go back through and edit, and then you rewrite it. So every comic is a little different in their approach, yeah. But there is so much of like, like I said earlier, bombing. Yeah, and you have I, you to know I can handle bombing. Yeah, I like because listen, I've done Story Slam for five years. Uh, which means, and I've gotten on stage between every single story. Uh, I did the math the other day. I have, we have had at least 750 stories if we've been going for five years, which means I have been on stage probably about a thousand times trying to make jokes. I have bombed a lot. <laughs> so I'm not afraid of bombing, but that three minute time or less time as a new person, I'm just like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even begin to try and be funny in less than three minutes. Yeah, what will happen for, you know, and this still happens to me, is like I start speaking more rapidly, and that doesn't help. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You just have to edit your words down and make sure like what you're saying really counts, which is why you can always tell a stand-up comic that comes in to do a story slam. Totally, yeah. Because there's... Their stuff is usually edited down, but it also comes across as not as genuine sometimes as a story slam because it is so tightened up. Yes. Sometimes they don't allow themselves to get into that area of like they're feeling the emotion while telling the story. They're just hitting play on a tape that's inside well, their it's, head. It's the same thing watching a, a comedian on a late night talk show. You can tell that they're they're doing their bits well but you can tell that they're kind of on autopilot when they're telling their quote-unquote stories uh i have said to my wife since our influx of uh stand-ups at madison story slam there's three things that if if i don't know the person there's three things that i can tell that they're a stand-up a what you just said that it's kind of like they're pressing play and doing their thing They, they don't necessarily seem so genuine some of them have been but then there's two other things they end with their name. Thank you very much. I'm Adam Roth. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And they wait for me to get back up to shake my hand. Yeah. And I appreciate the shake my hand. I, I don't care about any. It's not like I don't appreciate the other ones, but I appreciate the shaking of my hand. But Ashley was like, what do you, why does that mean they're stand up? And I'm like, that is stand up culture. You, 
end with your name and you shake the host's hand. That's just what you do. Yeah, it's uh, drilled into us as etiquette. So like mm-hmm. when you become a, uh, an open micer and you go to the comedy club on state, they'll like every so often, it's usually about once a season or like, you know, once every six months or something like that. Uh, the guy who runs that will say, all right, comics only meeting. We'll have to go there and meet. And then he'll inform people of the etiquette. Sure. So the etiquette is never leave the stage empty. So all of us yeah. practice that all the time. And we can tell a new comic from, <laughs> you know, one that's been established because when they get done, they put the mic back in the stand and just walk off the stage. Cause like I'm done. And like, they're all, they're in their head, but like, yeah, you, you're supposed to wait there until the host gets back up. And then, you know, there's always the shaking of a hand. And the reason that they will say their name at the end is well, because... promoting. We're, yeah, we're all trying to make yeah, it. No, yeah, yeah no, I, I get it totally. It's I'm totally fine with it. Uh, it was just so, like, to me, it just, that just so loudly says, I'm a stand-up comedian. And it's funny, that it, uh, so like my wife, it's funny that there are other people out there that would go, oh, they're just saying their name. And I'm like, no, they're promoting themselves. Yeah. Which, I mean, by all means, promote yourself. That's why we're here, so. Well, yeah, and it's also something that you say because you'll also, here's another, like, little tip of the cap that a person's a comic is at the end of a story or a bit they'll say and i'll leave you with this yeah and the reason that they say that is because they're trying to send a message to whoever's hosting to put down their drink and get ready to make the mad dash to the stage and i appreciate that (laughs) so much because there are so many people who are like and then this happened in the and i'm like oh i just went to the bathroom (laughs) like (laughs) I, i have to run away now so yeah i always i i appreciate the stand-ups who come and and kind of give me a a warning. Well, so. there's definite there's definite etiquette, and you get kind of like razzed if you don't. Yeah, because you're like, dude, you just walked off the stage. What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> or you know, taking the mic out of the stand and then putting the mic stand behind you. Sure. There's all these little. That, like, that's not an okay thing, huh? No, you're supposed to. Oh, do you're that. supposed to. Okay. You, you, but if you take the mic, but, but only if you take the mic out, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you leave the mic in the stand. But if you take the mic out of the stand, you leave the stand in front of you. Yeah, you're you're leaving this thing. It's... I am a uh, you know at Story Slam we don't let people take the mic out of the yeah. stand because we have to have the good mic to record the podcast part. But uh, back when we did have a stand and you could take it out, I was always a person who put it to the side and liked to fondle the stand yeah. as, as I'm talking. So um, yeah, you'll see people they'll they'll like lean on it, sure. but they'll move it to the side and they'll almost like have one arm stretched out. Yeah, and they'll like kind of. Well, for, for some stand-ups, the, the mic stand kind of becomes an extra character mm-hmm. on stage with them, and they use it to their benefit. So um, so as you know, and as many of our listeners know, we have a new event that we're starting uh, called Read It and Weep, which is happening May 12th, not the 13th, Friday the 13th. Uh, that's yours, April 13th. Uh, but May 12th, Read It and Weep, and we want people to come and read their old journal entries, letters, short stories, anything they wrote in high school. Or anything that they have 10 years separation from. And I, I asked you to come with, maybe with something that you wrote a long time ago. And you said, I'll try and figure. So did you find something? I did. I found a story that my mom had held on to. And uh, I haven't read it in a long time. Well, when did you write it? Uh, I think I was 17. Okay. So uh, 23 years ago. And Yikes. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Like, like I said, uh, he was kind of thinking about this earlier. Uh, when I was growing up, 
I still had the depression, but I was hiding it from everybody. But I listened to a lot of Metallica. <laughs> and my favorite Metallica song is Fade to Black, which sure. is, you know, this song about suicide. So, like, I... So you're I, trying to drown out the depression with more depression. Totally. Totally. <laughs> and I, I drew a lot. I wore a lot of black t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I watched The Crow a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> like too many times you know? yeah i got you <laughs> so uh there was a lot of like you know i i wasn't a goth kid but that was because i grew up in baraboo wisconsin yeah and uh i would have had my ass kicked a lot yeah, you know? yeah. so but i spent a lot of time in the art room doing a lot of drawings and drawing skulls and that sort of stuff so uh i think we had a creative writing exercise in my creative writing class which i uh I passed with a 70, and that was because my then-teacher, Mrs. Gilmore, said, so you, you're a senior, you're going to graduate this year. I'm like, yeah. She said, uh, do you have all of your other credits in order to graduate on time? And I said, barely. And she gave me a 70 on this just because... She didn't want to be the one person to stand in the way of me actually graduating. We didn't send out my invitations because we did not know that I was going to graduate. I like finished in the, my, my high school counselor said, you are in the top 75% of your class. And I said, isn't that like the bottom 25%? And that caught her off guard because apparently people who are in the top 75% can't do that quick math. (sighs) But like I have ADHD and just never had it diagnosed till I was 30. So that's why I did poorly in high school. As you can tell, I'm rambling and jumping all over the place. But yeah, so uh, I wrote this story. So this is obviously a suicide story. Sure. And... uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna have a hard time reading it just right. because like uh, I'm gonna be reading it thinking about this kid who I was and being like oh god this is terrible sure so I'm gonna let you read it and I'm gonna try my best to not really interject with questions or anything because I, I maybe want to use this on the read it and weep podcast um so but feel free as you're reading to kind of give some background or interject in, in for yourself so uh. Take it away, Tyson. Yeah, I might have to stop to like just groan and hold. Sure, yeah, absolutely. uh, So I'm actually looking at the print off that I did for high school. So this paper is, it's monospaced type, double spaced, and the uh, dot matrix edge has been torn off on the side. So, uh, all right. So the name of the story is Chocolate Chip Cookies. And I wrote this when I was 17 in uh, creative writing class. So, as I rummage through some old papers, I find an old newspaper clipping. It is a familiar piece of paper I keep around to remind me. My eyes, my eyes dart to the high, highlighted lines on the yellowed paper. Quote, boy commits suicide for no apparent reason. That line makes the memories rush back and slap me in the face. I am 26 now. <laughs> uh, I'm 26 now. But I can remember that day a decade ago as if it was yesterday. He did have a reason. He wasn't stupid. He made sure I knew why he did it. He left me a letter, and I can still remember it perfectly, almost as if I could read it off the inside of my mind. It went like this. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, man. Uh, okay. Uh, Bill. This is a letter to you because you are the only one who cares. I wrote this letter so you wouldn't wonder why I did it. First things first. I don't want you to show this letter to anybody. I don't know 
how the idea made its way into my thoughts, but once it did, there was no turning back. It is such an easy way to end the pain. The pain of coming home each and every night to find my mother passed out on the living room floor with breath so strong it alone could intoxicate others just too much. I am sick of seeing it. I can remember... I Wait, sorry. Gotta turn the page. I can still remember a time when my mom was sweet and nice and had milk and cookies waiting for her son every day after school. Those days are gone. And the comparison is gruesome. The time when it seemed mom loved me is a cherished memory, but that was before dad died. Before the alcohol. Uh, on that note. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> things at school suck. The people there don't like or care about me. The guys look at me with disgust just because I'm scrawny. The girls won't give me the time of day because I don't wear the right clothes. Why do they hold the fact that I'm small and broke against me? I never do anything to them, but they still shove me into trash cans and laugh at me just because I can't fight back. My life is worth nothing. I can't even be useful at work. My manager sends me home early every night because I don't know my job. Nobody there talks to my face, but I can always hear whispers of dumb Demir once I turn my back. Okay. Demir is spelled D-A-M-I-R. And uh, this is a side note. Uh, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons in high school. And uh, pretty sure I had a uh, dark elf character named Demir the Dark. And that made its way into this story. Okay. Back to the story. Uh... I keep having dreams about my mom, the people at school, and the people at work yelling at me. And by the way, all right, so if Demir is writing this letter, this letter is really long for, I don't know, I guess he had a lot to say before he kicked off. All right. Anyways, the bad part is, is that they never stop yelling at me even after I wake up. Do you know what it feels like to be told you're worthless every hour you're awake and asleep? I do. And it's not a pleasant feeling. The worst part of it all is when... I tell them I don't like the way they treat me, and they say, quit whining and do something about it. Well, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take a gun and load it. After that, I'm going to place the barrel of the gun next to my temple and pull the trigger. The bullet... (laughs) I think that there was a portion of this creative writing assignment where we had to, like, really explain every detail. So, this is a... Yikes. The bullet will then make its way through my skull into my brain and stop the dream so I can have a peaceful, eternal sleep. (laughs) Uh, I can't find any other way of avoiding the pain. If I could have, I wouldn't be writing this letter to you now. I don't want to die, I just want to stop the pain. I know death is final and that there is no turning back. I'm not stupid like everyone thinks I am. I have known death is the end ever since dad died. I knew dad wouldn't be coming home someday and make everything right. Everything. Two, okay, two words there. All right, uh, I'm not an idiot. I'm not like those prissy, superficial bitches at school. Oh, wow. I'm not like those prissy, superficial bitches at school who slit their wrists just because their boyfriends dump them. I'm not like the people who take their own lives who have the attitude, they will be sorry when they were mean to me when, they, when I'm gone. I could care less if anybody feels guilty for my death. 
I know what I'm doing. The reason I told you not to tell anybody about this letter is for the simple fact that I don't want any overpaid jackass shrink to pick it apart. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, senior high school Tyson uh, got to write the word jackass in a creative writing bit. Oh, okay. All right. The stupid shrink would just complain to some city official about the harshness of society. That wouldn't help me because it would be a day late and a dollar short. I'm content with being a statistic. Goodbye, Damir. P.S. When you have kids, do me a favor. Make them chocolate chip cookies. Those are the best. If you have any left over, I'd like you if you would put one on my grave. Ugh. Okay, so uh, that's the, the letter that was written. And uh, the author uh, goes on. He's like, he was just a kid, barely 16 years at all. Yet he was one of the most mature people I've ever met. He had one fatal flaw. He wasn't perfect. He never insulted anyone, but yet he was insulted. He was always kind when given the chance, but a kind word was too much for anybody else to give him because he was different. There is like multiple more pages of this. I can't believe how long this is. Oh my God. All right. <laughs> Why is... Why is it that life isn't fair? Why can't some people open their minds and hearts so that boys like Demir can have the cool water of love wash away their pain? Uh, those are the questions that ravage my mind every time I think of that cold rainy day in April 10 years ago. I remember when I asked myself those questions for the first time. It was the same week he killed himself. It was at his funeral on another dark and damp day. As the wind beat me and the other three people... At his burial, I wondered why God would allow a kid to go through that much pain. Oh, I was uh, throwing some shade at Christianity there. I did not capitalize the G in God. Um, okay, I don't want to go through the pain of remembering anyway anymore. Maybe I will throw away that yellow newspaper clipping and get rid of the pain. As I go to throw the paper away, I turn it over and look one last time. Something catches my eye that I forgot was there. On the back side of the newspaper clipping is a familiar handwriting that I identify as my own. Dear Bill, this is a reminder to you to never misplace this paper because without it, you will forget that some kids need chocolate chip cookies. Signed, yourself. As I look at the warning I wrote myself all those years ago, I realize that the pain of remembrance brings knowledge and that the pain of the moment brings agony. I can never throw away this very important piece of paper for the simple reason that I, or the simple reason that without it, I will forget to soothe the other people's pains. It's interesting. I've never forgotten the questions I asked myself 10 years ago on that bleak April day so that I become a better person and be able to live with the pain and remembrance. It's a shame that it takes a life to teach this lesson. I think that maybe things could change if others could learn from my experience. That's why I think I'll tell this story to others in hopes that maybe, just maybe, somebody's heart and mind will be opened. I have one problem left, and that is how to start. Maybe as I rummage through some old papers, dot, dot, dot. Yikes, that, I, I, I took that ending directly from Essie Hinton's The Outsiders, who begins the story with the same words she ends on. I know that that's what I was uh, inspired when I wrote that story. Well, can you tell I was actually like depressed in high school? <laughs> Jeez. 
So here's my question. I have a few. <clears throat> um, how much of that was about you? Uh, you know, on rereading, uh, probably like a fair amount. Like I was probably like trying to say some stuff about it that I was keeping, you know, inside. Yeah, I, I think I was like the depressed kid who wanted, you know, to like think about like how sorry everybody would be or if they can know. But uh, yikes. Well, you talk about some pretty specific things in there. Yeah. About the way that kids treated Demir. Demir. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, were those kinds of things happening to you? Did you feel like an outcast? Yeah, I got bullied. I mean, like, like I, I got bullied in high school. Uh, and I was good at my job, though. <laughs> but uh, uh, other than that, I, 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 I did not date in high school. I was, you know, struck out in that realm a lot. I was uh, really short. I wish I was scrawny, but like I was short and round. So like that was the key difference between me and Demir there. Um, but I, I, I was short and chunky and uh, I, I was quiet. I didn't really talk a lot except to my friends. So uh, I was shy then. I'm not really shy anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was depressed, but I didn't, I didn't realize then that people uh, could just be depressed. I thought that everybody had to have a reason for being depressed. So, like, I was like, I don't have a reason for being depressed. My parents are together and blah, blah, blah. So, like, in the story, I manufacture this reason as to why Demir can be depressed because his mom's an alcoholic and his dad is dead. Because my parents weren't alcoholics and, you know, they were alive and together. So, like, I didn't understand why I was sad. Wow, this is getting kind of deep. Yeah, no, but it's good. I mean, that story was great. Uh, do you remember... Can you remember what your goal what what your goal was with this story, or was it just this is an assignment that I have to do, or were there like some ulterior motives? Well, I think I was like trying to like, you know, I had this message of like people should be nice to each other because I think I was tired of getting bullied and you know not getting a date and and that sort of thing because like I didn't wear the right clothes, I didn't you know spend money on that sort of stuff and. Uh, I was kind of an outcast. So I I had a message, but I was trying to be overly dramatic in its communication and say, well, this kid committed suicide because of, you know, this. Like, if if you take, like, 17-year-old Tyson and put him in 2018, I think I probably would have written the story from the point of view of, like, a school shooter. You know, it's but, like, back then, like, the worst thing you could think of to be dramatic and get some people's attention would be like, oh, that kid committed suicide. Yeah. Um, do you remember, was there any, uh, did you get talked to about it? Because, I mean, it, for a 17-year-old in high school, it's like, I, if I had submitted that to my, in my high school, there would have been meetings, like, about my mental health and, like, am I okay kind of stuff. No, this is, like, early 90s, so uh, it was basically, I think I got a B plus. And it was like, this was really, this is your best effort to date. You know, like I got a B plus on this story and I got a 70 in the class as a whole so that I could get out of it. I mean, maybe this was the thing that made her give me the 70 because she realized he's depressed and he needs to get out of high school. But so, like, no, no one, no one brought this up. There was no, like, that wasn't a thing. Like, I mean, I had ADHD, like ADHD is a trait that people have. I didn't get diagnosed with it until I was 30. Yeah. And it's just like now. So it was like. That would have gotten caught. Like people would have said, oh, well, he's a, a textbook case of this. Here's, you know, how you get, you know, 
do better in high school and that sort of stuff. But like back then, I just, it, it's funny you should ask that because this is, this story was in a folder that my mom gave me about, you know, three or four years back. And in the folder are all my progress reports from high school that all say, Tyson's great in class, but does not complete assignments on time. If he would only apply himself, maybe he would be passing, you know, because like I, I struggled in high school so badly. I like, I'm a textbook case of ADHD, but that's just not what was done. Then. Yeah. <laughs> like, like kids who were sad were just like, oh, lighten so, up. So it was like, here's a B plus. Uh, you, you're kind of messed up, but like, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> no, no. It was just like. That was that was the way that it was. Yeah, anyway. and then um, cool water of love. What <laughs> what's the line in there about cool water of love? I'm sorry to make you go back. Uh, let's go find <laughs> that one back. It was towards the end. Okay, uh, let's see here. It's just you. You're so right when you said that there. It must have been part of the assignment to like be super detailed. Oh yeah. It, well, it was creative writing, so we were supposed to yeah. like you know stretch. <laughs> There it is. Why is it that life isn't fair? Why can't some people open their minds and hearts so that boys like Demir can have the cool water of love wash away their pain? Oh, yikes. Uh, Expound on that a little for me. Expound on that. Um, Well, I think I was probably, like, there's a lot of, like, water in this story because it was a cold, damp day. and uh, But, you know, I think... There was this idea of like burning pain, <laughs> and like I said, uh, I did not do very well with the ladies in high school, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that uh, younger Tyson really just wanted to have a date. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, yeah, apparently Demir, if he would have just gotten laid, he wouldn't have killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh um yikes <laughs> and, then, and then one last super cliched question for you about that um if you could talk to 17 year old tyson as he's sitting down to finish this assignment write this story or maybe just about life like what would you say to him wow like i mean this could be like a th- three-hour podcast on this answer because like there's a lot of times when i thought well we like, don't have stuff, three hours <laughs> of all the stuff i would have liked to take tell myself like, i mean like in fact that was one of the details of like the the story slam i told about my dad was the main thing that i lamented about my dad not being around on the weekends is like i needed someone to clue me in on some of my na- naivete like i didn't understand a lot of stuff and I like honestly, if I could go back and talk to like seventeen year old Tyson, I would have told him like, relax, be comfortable in who you are. Everybody like the it gets better talk, you know. Like I would have had that with him, and then I would have you know told him like you know, man, uh, just just so much. Like I would have been like you know. You can just go out on a date. It doesn't, you know, like, uh, my mind is reeling because I'm doing the, like, the, the stand-up comic editing right now, and there's too much to edit. Yeah. I'm just kind of stumbling over myself right now because there, there's so much I would have liked to have told him. And 
it's one of the reasons why I, like as a father like I take it so seriously because I want to teach I want to be honest with my daughter about like kind of like what's in store and uh I don't know like when I was a kid I, like I, I was very into Metallica and art and art room and you know all those things I said before but also at the same time I was really like this is early 90s and like AIDS had just kind of come out as a thing and I was terrified of having sex sure because I was like oh if I have sex I will get AIDS and die immediately like it was like was that was that TV shows like uh the uh freaks and geeks yeah. or something like that it's like if you get if you have sex you have syphilis and die or whatever whatever sitcom that was that had that scene in it well it was just like AIDS and uh like I remember this, like my senior year, like Michael or Magic Johnson came out and was like, I have HIV and we're like, oh my God, he's straight and he's gonna, and everyone like lost it. And I was afraid that like, if I had sex or tried to like get with a girl or something like that, that I would die. So then I was like, well, now I need to get married. And I was very Christian upbringing. And this is getting into like a whole uh-huh. different level of deep psychosis. Well, I mean, like it, what I would have told myself is just this, like go out on a date. It's not that big of a deal. Experiment, have fun, be a child or not be a child, but be like a young man and don't beat yourself up so much about it. Make your mistakes. Just don't make the big ones and don't put so much like emphasis on you know, you have to do it all right the first time through. Just make some small, just make some mistakes. Yeah. I, you Don't know, be afraid of them. Like, just talking with you, hearing that story, and then just kind of talking with you in, in a very short amount of time, very smallly getting to know you. Smally? Is that like bigly? <laughs> um, <laughs> in a small way getting to know you. I, I think what 17-year-old Tyson just needed to hear was, it's going to be okay. Like yeah. you said, it gets better, but... Even more so, it's going to be okay, man. Like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, very much so. Like, I was so wrapped up in, like, I wanted to have a girlfriend really bad, but then I was afraid. Yeah. And it was, there's so much more to this story, and it goes so much more epically bad, like, in the years to come. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, through my 20s and, you know, early 30s, like the levels of mistakes that I made just because I didn't know it was going to get better and I could just calm the fuck down. (laughs) I mean, everybody's like that, though. I mean, I don't don't think you'd talk to it. Well, I'm sure there are some people who are just like, no, life's been good always. And I've always just known that life is good. Uh, But I think most people would be like, Oh yeah, like I should have just known that. Like I wish somebody had just said, like, just calm down. Like, why are you up in your head so much? So yeah, I just needed somebody to be like, it'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I I feel good. Do you feel good? I know we kind of ended on a little (laughs) bit of a bummer, but I still feel good. Well, yeah, I feel great because you're like like in a better place now. Yeah. So that's why I feel good, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's awesome, and like all of these like things that I edited out, those will all become story slams that you'll hear, and then you'll eventually see the depth of like all of my missteps, (laughs) like the the depth of Demir. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The depth of Demir. Yes, that's what we should call it. Like I was thinking, you know, my my end goal. You should do a one man show called the depth of Demir. (laughs) You you were going right there because like my end goal with doing the stand up comedy is to have a one man show, and I was going to name it. Uh, cautionary tales yeah where i basically talk about all my mistakes and then make 
you know, fun of it, but I think I need to change it to the depths. Of the I think that right one now. man show opens with you reading this, <laughs> and then you expanding and and showing the depths of Demir. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a thinly veiled story. It's like this is really about <laughs> fucked up Tyson as a seventeen year old, and no one caught it. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, so so now we've got a taste of the serious side of bittersweet. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Bittersweet. Uh-huh. Uh, one more time, plug that for everybody. Uh, so, Bittersweet, it is on Friday, the 13th of April. And that's at- not going to be the last time it happens, right? No. It, it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing. I put this on quarterly because there's a lot to put together. But uh, so every quarter we do this show. Uh, the next one after April will be in August. Okay. I've already got uh, some of the talent lined up for that one. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a two act show, Bitter. Plus sweet, so story slams plus stand up comedy, and it's the same five performers is the really the neat thing. So each, five. each time or just uh, like each show has the same like I don't know how to ask the that show has the same that. format. So okay, it's, yeah, I will host it every time, so yeah. I will always. But start different performers at like it's not the same performers as January and April. That's right. right. Okay, okay, that's right. So uh, I'll book four different uh talents but they'll do a story slam and then they'll do the stand-up comedy and the first time i did this somebody was like so wait a second they tell the sad story first and then they tell the funny story after i'm like no it's just one callback joke you're seeing yeah a, a whole different thing yeah taking on a whole journey all right so listeners tomorrow night friday the 13th april 13th at the rigby uh and right off the square in madison mm-hmm. Uh, 8 p.m. or yes, 9 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Uh, so go check that out. There's good drinks at the Rigby. There's going to be great stories and and I'm sure some funny comedy as well. Not just some total funny comedy. Um, so go check that. Out. Is is there a do you have a Facebook page that people can follow to? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, like friend me on Facebook, Tyson Purcell. Like uh, I will be the first and only one to come up in this. Also, area. your name will be in the title yeah, of this episode. Name. So. And then uh, I have a, a page on Facebook called Glib Productions that I, you know, do most of my show production through. Sure. So I, I produce shows. I will uh, put that pr- in the show regularly. notes. So mm-hmm. listeners, if you want to follow that, just go to the show notes and you can find the link to Glib Productions, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So Tyson, thank you so much for coming on and being vulnerable enough to read that story, first of all. But uh, but also just talking to me about comedy and storytelling. It was uh, It was fun to get your perspective. Oh, thank you. And like I can't wait to see the Read It and Weep show because like honestly, I that like doing story slams and stand up comedy, I feel comfortable, but reading that, I like I was shaking and uh I, I had to look away for a, a few times. That was <laughs> yes, that did. was rough. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I almost forgot. I, I ask every guest this last question. I I almost lost my mind here. Um who is the most interesting person in your phone? The, as a contact. The most interesting person mm-hmm. in my phone. Yeah, the as most a interesting contact. contact. Um, and and the interpretation of that question is entirely yours. Uh, J.C. Brady. And why? Uh, if you meet J.C. Brady, that is self-explanatory. That man is. Uh, well, I mean, like his name's Jared, but J.C. Brady is his on-stage persona. But he is a delight to get to know but his onstage persona is also a little different than what he is he was in my first bittersweet show and he is an interesting cat like very like there's a lot to that onion you got to peel back the layers there's in every layer you find a little bit more to love but that guy is uh well good (laughs) 
All right, that's it. <laughs> read it and we- or not re- roll. Read it and weep is mine. Bittersweet is his. Madison Story Slam is also mine. Well, I, I, I shouldn't say they're mine. It, it feels so dirty to say they're mine. <laughs> Do you ever feel that? Yeah, I mean, like I, I definitely feel what what you're saying there because especially when you put on a show that requires other people, like yes. it's an ensemble yep. effort. It's totally. hard to take ownership over it. Yeah, but here's the thing: is that won't happen unless you're there it's true and making the platform for it so maybe you're just the enabler i i am the um uh what is it uh when uh when when like your child has a bank account but you're the oh the executor or executor the, or like the whatever anyway we've the gone custodian. on the custodian there that's what go. i'm looking i am the custodian of of those shows uh and you're the custodian of uh, uh bittersweet i keep wanting to call yours read it and weep because they're it's like the same. That's because uh, I just read it and had a hard yeah. time not weeping. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I've tried to end the show five times. We keep going. Tyson, thank you so much for being on. Go to Bittersweet, April thirteenth. That's tomorrow if you're listening the day that this came out. But also, it's going to be in August and ongoing. So go check it out. Hey, listeners! One last thing before we go. Just well, more than just one last thing. Just a couple reminders. Our next Story Slam event is Saturday, April 21st at the Wilmar Center in Madison, Wisconsin. The theme is Child's Play. So come here and share some great stories about all the things that you did as children. I'm sure there's some mischief that uh, you could share about the thing that you, you know, mischieved. Mischieved? I don't know if that's a word. Anyway, and then the next thing that you need to know about is officially the show Read It and Weep is live. The the podcast is up. We've got two episodes, and one is actually featuring the story that Tyson just read on this episode of Madison Story Slam. But next Tuesday, Kevin Allison from The Risk Podcast is sitting down and reading a great story that he wrote at age 11, so look forward to that. And then on May 12th, At Mr. Roberts in Madison, Wisconsin, the first Read It and Weep live show is going to be happening. Send an email to readitandweepshow at gmail.com if you want to be a part of it. Thank you for listening, and as always, I love you.